Hallelujah. It's an honor to be here, church. Good morning. This is a great church. Good worship. Thank you, worship team. If you are still here, you have an amazing anointing. Just such a strong anointing in this house. Hallelujah. Well, it's, this is um, our first time in your church, the first time in this area, really. So it's an honor in so many ways and a privilege. But, uh, you know, there's so much to tell. There's so many things that I could share, and I'm sure my wife would have a lot to share. But we are here because we are seeking the Lord. Amen? And so we're going to focus on that because when we actually focus on Him, His heart, and open our heart to receive, you know what He does? He's really good at that. He gives and gives and pours and gives and gives. And so I, before I, I introduce myself uh, a little more, I do want to pray with you. And um, if you'll just open up your hearts to receive, not for me, not because my prayer is special, but because God knows your heart. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we bless you. We lift you up high like we were worshiping and singing, and, and we were stating that fact uh, into our lives, into this atmosphere, into this church, and we lift you up high, and we take off the limits, Lord. You can do what you want to do. We don't want to limit you by saying, oh, I don't believe that. Oh, I don't know about that. We say, do what you want to do, Father. We thank you, Lord. We, we open our hearts before you. And we give you our lives. Because that's all we've got. We love you back. You loved us first. And today, we, we declare it. We love you back, Father. Hallelujah. Can somebody say, I love you back, Daddy? <laughs> Hallelujah. He loved us first. Amen. Um, well, my name is Max, and that's my wife, Amanda. We, are, uh, we have been married for just a little over a month, so it's kind of our honeymoon. <laughs> Continues as we travel and do the ministry in North America, but it's been a blessing to, to you know, be together out here. And we, of course, live uh, in Ukraine, as you uh, figured already. And um, um, we're going back to Ukraine March 21st, so we're pretty excited and waiting for that day. <laughs> because uh, I, love, I love ministering in uh, different places, but the place that the Lord has called me to be and live at is in Ukraine. And of course, my wife as well. She's an American. I'm Ukrainian. I was born in Ukraine, raised in Ukraine, and lived there my whole life. English was, well, a long story, but I'll share it later. I do want to ask you a few questions. And if you... Um, could just, you know, uh, go with me and answer them in, in the way that I ask you. Um, is there anybody here this morning that needs healing? If, if, if it is you in any area, maybe it's not you, maybe it's your sibling, maybe it's your member of your family, would you stand, please? Is there anybody in this church who needs finances, who struggles and needs uh, debt paid off or, or who needs finances for his family and you have mortgage to pay and you're meeting it, just barely meeting that. And is there anybody in this church that needs a re restoration of relationships, maybe in your family, maybe between your siblings, maybe you and your parents, uh, would you stand? Is there anybody in this church who is hungry for the Lord? Is there any, would you stand? Is there anybody in this church who wants something from the Lord? Look around you guys. You are a hungry church. You are a needy church. And this is great because he is the God who provides for all needs. And you know what? I remember, would you just stand for a minute? I remember my first day 
that I received Jesus into my heart. And it was so simple. I was in a village. I, of course, grew up in a, a very poor area in Ukraine. And I was in this tiny little village. And missionaries came and did the uh, outreach. And I had no idea what was going on. I was six years old, for goodness sakes. And so I just kind of looked around at everything that was happening. And then this lady comes up to me in a small little room in a meeting. And she comes up to me with a plastic bag for offering. You know, it's like this little tiny plastic bag. And, and she says, do you have anything you want to give to the Lord? And I kind of looked up at her. I'm six, right? So I have nothing to give. I'm thinking they're going to kick me out if I don't have, you know, don't have anything to give. And, and I said, I don't have anything. And then she said, well, how about your heart? Would you give your heart to the Lord? And I said, okay. And so I, I, you know, I said, how do I do that? And she said, just pretend that your heart is in your, in your hand and give it to him. Symbolic, symbolically, just put it in this little bag. And that was my very first day of repentance. That was my first offering. And so isn't that just interesting that we all here stand because we need something from him. And all that we, he wants from us is our heart. So I encourage you right now, take your heart again. Even if you've done it before in the past, take it again. And just think, remember your first day that you met him. Remember your first encounter. Remember your first experience. Remember the day that you were hungry for him like never before. And maybe today it's time to renew that hunger, to refresh that hunger to say, okay, Lord, I've tried it on my own, but I need you. So take your heart and let's, let's just give it to him. Father, receive our offering today. Not just our finances, not just our time, not our strength and ability and skill, but receive our hearts the very heart that you have given to us, the very heart that you have given life. You have given to each one of us life. And so, Lord, we give it back to you because it is no longer ours. It is yours and it is in your hands. We trust you fully. We trust you completely. And, and I feel, you guys, I feel like he's saying, whatever your need is, I'm there for you. He is the God that speaks and does what he says. He is a great almighty king who answers to every need, to every child, and you are his child. I feel like he's giving me a word for this church, this congregation, Pastor David. I feel like this is the church that people will refer as the bread of life refer to, to this body because you will feed them with the bread of life. The, 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 the knowledge, the wisdom, the, the depth of the wisdom of God that's in this body is going to be so big and it's going to nourish other people. It's not just going to feed them with a little bit of information that they have to go and think about. It's going to be the bread of life. It's going to bring life to the ones that have been dead. It's going to resurrect the dead in the spirit. And this church will bring life. So I, I declare that, and you can, of course, pray about it but I feel like that's God's statement for each one of you as the body. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless you guys. You can, you can have a seat. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. He is a good God, isn't he? I even feel that out of that, the bread of life, I feel like this church is going to have lots of missions trips. And you guys will not have to think about the budget because he provides. <laughs> He's a good God. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, all right. I'm going to try and focus. <laughs> um, my name is Max. Did I say that earlier? Yeah. 
<laughs> my name is Max, and I'm from Ukraine. And my story is, you know, just another, uh, another little life that the Lord rescued and saved and changed and transformed. And so it's just, it's just, you know, how how we live. We we think of ourselves as these little people, but then God shows up in your life, and everything changes. And you're like, what is this? What's happening? So um, that's my my story. I was born and raised in Ukraine, and um, uh, I grew up in a tiny little village, as I told you, where I got saved. I remember these missionaries who came to my city, and I mean, my village, and they were just going through the street that I lived on. And you know, in, in the village, it's so small. You know everybody, and everybody knows you. It's just, you know, it's just how it is, because it's so small. And so, uh, these, these people were going through my street, and they were, we used to refer to them as clean people. Uh, because in the village, you kind of get, you know, dirty, you have rubber boots, you're always in dirt, or chicken's poop or you know whatever and so so it's a village right and so these people were coming through our street but they were clean so I'm thinking who are they and of course they had a guitar that was the first time I saw a guitar in my life and and they were playing this guitar and so we started following them and sure you know enough they get to the end of our street and that there was a little post office there and so they got inside they had their little meetings and they did it several times a week and sometimes they would come, you know, once a week. And so they kept coming back. And so at that point already, I thought, I want to follow them. Who are they? And what do they do? Because there was a few people that went with them. So, of course, I'm six and I'm following them into this little post office, that the room they rented there. And I get into this room and that's where they did their services. Of course, now I understand they were missionaries sent to do this, you know, evangelism work. And so... Uh, I'm there in this meeting, and that was my first time that I actually, you know, heard about Jesus, uh, then heard songs about him, and then saw these people who were so happy. They just had so much joy. And so in my family, it was kind of, you know, crisis after crisis, and, and there was very little joy. I have an older brother and my mom and my dad at that time, and, and you know, it was abusive. There was drugs involved because my dad served in Afghanistan for a couple of years, so he came back all changed and different. And, and so all of that happening, and of course it was, you know, uh, Soviet Union back then, and so it was just so tough. And, in your family, you kind of just want to run away from it. And so this little bit of joy that I saw, I wanted. I was like, I want this. And so, of course, being six and all, I told all the people there, all the ministers there, that my dad is a drug addict, that he's abusing my mom, my brother and I, and you need to come into my house and help him. You know, I'm six, no filter, uh, just And so, sure enough, uh, I'm inviting them right after the service into my house. And my mom's there, my dad's there, and he wasn't high that day, which was a miracle by itself. And so um, they walked into the house, and my mom's like, Max, what's going on? Who are these people? I said, Mom, they're going to help with their dad. You know his drugs thing, and then he's not going to hate you anymore. Look at them. They're so happy. And, you know, I'm just believing that it's just going to happen right now. So they're coming in and coming in. And at that point, I already saw my dad uh, for who he was at that stage, which was mean, cruel, uh, angry, and all of the terrible things, right? So I had a lot of hate towards my dad and I was six but I had so much hate towards him and then uh, and I had hope all of a sudden with these missionaries and so when they came in and um, started to minister and talk to him and, and, and just tell him about the church and Jesus I don't know what else they talked about he opened up and then they're talking and in the middle of their conversation my dad who I hate at this point picks up the guitar that they had and starts to play and all of a sudden, it was this, this change in my eyes. He became a hero to me. I'm thinking, my dad is awesome. I'm thinking, I love him, you know, and it's just amazing. And so God brought some healing into my heart then and, and gave me more hope and more hope. And of course, long story short, my dad showed up at this little meeting post office services and he was saved, completely changed, completely freed from the drugs and never went back to any of that. So God is so good. And of course, 
After a while, you know, we have to keep choosing to, to come to the throne of God, which is the throne of mercy, but also the throne of judgment. And so you're like, whoa, I'm standing before the throne, before the almighty God. He's not just a buddy, you know, he's God. He's not a baby. He's, he's not the Jesus on the cross. He's not a human. He is God. And so that was such a, a revelation to me, even recently. And long story short, of course, my life was never the same. I went after the Lord full speed. And... Um, when I, was, uh, when I was 11, well, I, when I was 9, we moved out of the village, and life changed even more and more and more. And then when I was 11, uh, so I lost my little post office, right, when I was 9, and I had no church to go to. We were in the city already, and I have no church to go to. And then I was invited to this one church. Uh, it was the biggest church in the city. It was about 1,000 people, so it's huge. And I'm, at this point, I'm, you know, 9, and I'm thinking, well, I'll go and check it out. You know, I've always wanted to find my church. I can't go back to the village. It's too far. And so I went. And as I walked into the door, there were people greeting the, you know, people at the door. And it was the same missionary lady who did ministry in my village. She was greeting everybody. And I'm like, this is my church. So of course I stayed and, uh, and never, you know, went to any, anywhere else. And I became a Sunday school teacher when I was 11. And, and you know, the Lord just kept uh, changing more and more. And when I was 11, the Lord had called me to do ministry to orphans. Of course, it didn't, I didn't call it ministry. It was just a lifestyle, right? I just uh, loved on the ones that were in front of me. It was just an everyday kind of a thing. And we had stories that we heard in communism, Soviet Union system. And our mentality is still very different. Like, you don't talk to orphans. You don't want to stay close to them. You don't want to be friends with them. You don't let them in your home. You don't, you know, you don't want to have anything to do with orphans. And so we were, you know, told to stay away as I was growing up. And then all of a sudden, when I'm 11 years old, sitting in one of the services on Sunday and talking through the entire message with this girl who's sitting right next to me. Uh, and, you know, she was just a nice girl. Her name is Vera, and she was 10, which means hope. Uh, I mean, faith. Her name means faith. And so um, I'm thinking, well, you know, she's so nice. i got to hang out with her more. And so the service was over, and I said, well, Vera, where do you live? Can I come and hang out with you? And she said, oh, um, they're not going to let you come inside. I said, all right. Well, um, she didn't tell me at this point that she was an orphan, right? And so I said, okay, well, how about you come to my place and hang out? And she said, no, 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 they're not going to let me out. And I'm thinking, what kind of prison do you live in? And so, you know, not realizing that she's from an orphanage. So I said, well, Vera, come on. I want to spend more time with you. Can we somehow plan this? And she said, well, I'm an orphan. And she said this with such an attitude that she was ex expecting me to turn around and walk away and never talk to her again. Because that's what most people did. And I said, okay, where is your orphanage? Because at that point, you guys, I already knew her. I already knew that she was nice. I already, Ephesians chapter 1, if you open with me, do you have your Bibles? Ephesians chapter 1. This is what the Lord's been teaching me as I was meeting these um, kids who were just awesome. Ephesians chapter 1. We were all orphans once, and then we were all adopted. When we gave our, our lives to the Lord, he has adopted us. And so the whole chapter, I mean, the whole book is wonderful. You can read it on your own. But the beginning of this chapter, uh, it says in here, I'll read it in Russian just so you could hear some, uh, just two verses, verse 3 and 4, and then I'll, I'll refer to it in English. Would you like to hear some Russian? Yeah, okay. Благословен Бог и Отец Господа нашего Иисуса Христа, благословивший нас во Христе всяким духовным благословением в небесах, так как Он избрал нас в Нем прежде создания мира, чтобы мы были святы и непорочны пред Ним в любви. It basically says, <laughs> I mean, you can look at yours, it's the same thing, but it basically says that the Lord has chosen us 
and he predestined us. And, and that means, to translate all of that into uh, today's language, that means that he had chose to love you before you had terrible habits, before you were sick, before you made terrible choices in your life, before you got a divorce, before you lost something, before you got angry at someone, before you destroyed your relationship. He said, I choose to love you. I choose you. That's it. And when I met this orphan girl whose name is Vera and started to talk, I loved her. She was just a good friend all of a sudden. And then she tells me of her status. And that didn't matter to me anymore. I didn't care. I'm like, oh, so what? Where is your orphanage? Let's go. <laughs> I was ready for building relationships. And, and our Father God, who does not care about all of these little things that we go through, he cares about your heart. He cares about your life. He cares about you. And so that was such a revelation to me. And of course, the next day after school on Monday, I skipped some of the classes, but I went to the orphanage, you guys. I found it. It was like an hour and a half of walking distance. I couldn't afford the bus, of course, so I, I went to the orphanage. I found it, and it was this huge building, you know, fenced around with this concrete cement wall all around the, the orphanage and I'm thinking wow this is creepy looking and I got into you know through the gate and there's lots of other kids playing around just one and so I kind of fit in there's I mean I'm 11 they're same age or maybe younger or older so there was about 300 kids all together in that facility I mean I found out later and then I said to someone can you find Vera here you know my friend and they're like well what's her name I'm like I don't know and then uh, they said, well, what group is she from? I'm like, I don't know. And so they went around asking for all these Veras because she wasn't the only one with that name, right? So they finally found her and she comes up and she says, you came and she's so excited. And she brings me into her room, which is a room of 30 beds, right? The room for girls is just one big room, 30 beds in the room. And then all these girls are starting to come into the room and then some boys are coming in. So by the time they're all like in there, it's like couple kids on each bed and they're staring you know my way and I'm kind of looking behind me to see if there's like somebody coming in or you know at the door or what's going on and I said Vera why are they all here and staring at me and she said well they came to hear you <laughs> and I'm thinking like I'm 11 I have nothing to share I, I didn't expect this I came to hang with you <laughs> you know and so she says we never get visitors Nobody ever comes because facilities like that in my nation are very, you know, restricted and limited and visitors are not allowed and, you know, you can't just go in because you feel like it. And so I, of course, just looked like one of the kids. They didn't even know I was there, the workers. And so at, at this point, they're all staring at me and I said, I don't know what to tell them. And then they started to ask me questions. And these are the questions, you guys, that motivated me and so made my heart even more uh, tender and soft and, and uh, sensitive to the Spirit of God, they asked me things like, do you have a mom? I said, yeah. And they said, does she cook breakfast for you? Does she wake you up with a kiss in the morning? Do you have your dad who protects you if somebody's mean to you? Do you, so all, do you have a TV at home? All these questions that you don't even think about. You don't even think to be grateful for what you've got until somebody tells you that you are blessed to have all that. And so they started asking me all these, all these things. And at, at this point, I'm thinking... What, wow, what, they don't even know their parents. They don't even know what they look like. And so one guy you know, in the group, he said, so how is your family? Do you like being in the family? I said, well, I didn't know any other way, but my family kind of sucks. You know, I was just 11 and I was really sincere and honest and, and so this is just what it is. I said, sometimes it's great, but other times it's terrible. They argue, they fight and, and things happen and we cry and, you know, we don't always have food and, and it sucks being in a family. What's it like being here? And so, you know, we had this dialogue and uh, uh, relationship that was developing and growing and long story short, that was the day that I realized that the Lord had called me to minister to the orphans. I was 11 years old and I knew that I knew that I knew because, you know, 
I knew some of the stories from the Bible. Not everybody had a Bible, but I was already a teacher of Sunday school at that point. So I knew some stories from the Bible. And they knew nothing. They knew nothing about the family. They knew nothing about Christmas. They knew nothing about who Jesus was. It was like the basic things they didn't know, and they never had a visitor. And so at that point, I knew that I knew that I was supposed to come back. You remember that verse in the Bible? It says, freely you receive, freely give. And so I received, you know, the, the stories, obviously, for free. You know, nobody made me pay for it. I just, you know, I just heard them and read them, and it was awesome. And so that was the least that I could do, come back as often as I could after school and tell them these stories. And so that was, that was it. That was my calling. That was my, you know, big ministry, just one day at a time, right? And, and it was just me. And then, of course, I invited my friends. And long story short, it kind of grew and grew. And really, 2006 is when the ministry kind of exploded. Because I, up until that point, uh, we didn't have a name for the ministry. It was just a lifestyle. Not many people wanted to go to orphanages and dorms and highways where the prostitutes are, who we called pearls, because that's how God sees them with the handicapped facilities. And then it's just the ministry grew to all these areas where we minister now in prisons because all these kids in the orphanage, they grow up and are kicked out of the orphanage and then their life takes different paths. And we didn't abandon them after they chose bad, you know, bad paths and we just went after them. If you ended up in prison, we're going after you. If you ended up at the highway, we're going to go after you. We're going to still help you. We're going to be there for you. Because our Father God does not forget us. Amen. Amen. And so um, all that to say, uh, I also want to add a little testimony. Do you guys like testimonies? Yes. You know, it's, it's, the testimonies are to build up your faith. The testimonies are to encourage you and uplift you. And it is the truth of God, how he operates in my nation, and he just operates just the same in your nation. He is the same great God. And so I want to encourage you with a couple of testimonies because, um, because I feel I should. <laughs> Uh, when I was 16, I was graduating high school just a bit earlier than, uh, you know, the rest of my students, and uh, I didn't really like English, you know, to begin with, and then... Um, it was so strange uh, that when we were graduating high school, the school gave us an option of five finals that you could choose. So I chose the four that I knew I could pass easy. And then the, the last one, I was like, I need a challenge. I need, you know, I, at this point, of course, I'm still doing ministry and orphanages in different places. And, uh, and I, I, I thought, I need a challenge. I need, I need to pick something that's really difficult for me. And so I chose English because I never attended classes. I kind of <laughs> skipped it. I went to an orphanage. I did whatever I could, but not English. And uh, it was because I was a kind of practical person and a kid and a teenager. I thought, like, they're not going to take us to England. I'm a boy from a village, for goodness <laughs> sakes. They're not going to pay for my flight. And it's not going to happen. Why would I study something that's so useless? And so, uh, seriously. So that was my approach. And so when I was 16, graduating high school, I chose English. My teacher said, you are crazy. You're going to fail this. You're going to embarrass me, yourself, and the whole school. Quit it. Take your name off the list. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to try it. You don't understand. I feel like I can try it. And she said, you can't just try it. It's a final. And so she sends me to a director of the school. And long story short, I had to kind of make my way into this and stay on the list. And so the director said, it's going to go on your record. Do you realize that? On your diploma? I said, yeah, that's fine. I'm going to try it, you know. And of course, I'm living by faith, trusting the Lord. And, and, and so I get to the classroom and it was, you know, kind of intense. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody's so nervous. But I was like, I'm, I'm fine. I don't know anything, so I'm fine. And <laughs> No, no nerve-wracking there. And so at this point, I got into the classroom, and they usually give you about 20 minutes to get ready to answer. And I didn't take the 20 minutes because it wouldn't help. And so I'm just sitting there for a minute. And I, my prayer was, you know, Lord, I served you by serving the, the least of these, the orphans, and now you serve me back. 
I had a deal with God. I said, I served you, now you serve me, but I need supernatural understanding of this language. And that was serious. That was all that I said in my prayer. And I meant it, right? I'm just like very sincere, very honest. And so I raised my hand and I said, can I just go first? Like, I don't need the 20 minutes. My teacher's eyes just get bigger and bigger. And she said, put your hand down. And then the inspectioner sitting there and they're like, well, let him go if he wants to go. And so I get up and I had a piece of paper that I had to read and translate and spell and then answer some of their questions, right? And so I looked at the piece of paper. It might as well be Japanese. I had no idea what it said. I couldn't even read the alphabet. And so as soon as I got up, though, guess what happened? God just downloaded the language. And so I got up, I read it, I, you know, did the spelling, I answered their questions, I wrote stuff on the, on the board, and then I walked out of the, out of the classroom. And then I'm standing, I'm like, what happened? What was that? I'm still in shock. And then my teacher runs out and she grabs me by the sweater and she's, how'd you do it? How'd you cheat? And I'm like, I can't cheat. You just gave me the piece of paper. I don't know. It's God. And that was when I actually realized it. You know, she said, you're right. It is God because you're not that smart. And... Do you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 1, right? Where it says that he chooses the least of these, right? To just, to show his glory, to reveal his glory. And so he chose me to reveal his glory. And truly, since that day, I honor the gift that he has given me. And of course, this is why, you know, how I speak English. And, you know, I didn't take classes. I skipped all of them. But the Lord decided I needed it. And I had no idea what was the reason behind all this. And, and later on, I applied for law school. I went through law school, so I became a lawyer. And then the Lord spoke to me. You're going to be an advocate for the orphans. And I'm like, yes, I love it because that's what I do anyway. And then later on, I was like still praying about this language thing. Like, why do I need English? There's not many people that I can talk to. What's the point of this? And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And he said, you will be the voice for the silenced ones. Orphans, see, in my nation, they don't have a voice. Nobody hears them. Even if they call police or an ambulance, they often wouldn't even show up. And so, so they have no voice. And he said, you will be the voice for the silenced ones. And that's what I do today. I represent uh, the, the orphans in my nation. And it, is, it has been uh, an honor and a blessing. And I would like you to open one more scripture with me really quick. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. As you're opening that... I'll share a little bit about what orphans are like and what their life is like. You saw a video of just like one family in Ukraine. Oh, that's a great picture. Um, you saw uh, uh, just, uh, you know, the video of one family. It's a big family, obviously, but... Um, it's kind of what life is like in Ukraine. Not much, out, not many opportunities, not much out there, and very little hope. And so the orphan kids, they, there's so many of them in my nation. But we believe that cycle is being broken because God is in business to restore families and to give um, families to the ones that have no families. Uh, so uh, the orphans in my nation, they're abandoned usually when they're little babies. Uh, sometimes they're left at the hospital. That's a great case. Other times they're left on the street, and sometimes, of course, they die. Um, very often they're thrown into a garbage bin, like a metal big garbage bin, or, or a manhole, or because they're not covered in my nation, they're, you know, the covers are stolen. So, so the, the kids are being abandoned you know, all throughout the country and, uh, because people can't afford to have those kids and it's usually orphans who keep having orphans so when they have never had a family they don't know how to be a family for the baby that they just had and so therefore they're just abandoning and the cycle keeps on repeating and so uh, the the little babies that are left at the baby uh, hospital they're usually there for a while until their paperwork is restored until they have a name so the court the judge actually decides whether it's going to be a boy or a girl and then it's you know if it's a boy or a girl they just decide Sasha or Natasha 
Natasha, bam, case closed, you know, and then moving on. So that's just kind of how it goes. That's why our nation has so many similar names. And, uh, and then they're transferred to a baby orphanage. And in the orphanage, there is a little bit of tiny, tiny little hope that they might be adopted by somebody from another country. Because little babies are cute, let be, let's be honest. You know, they're just so cute. You look at them and everybody just wants to have a little one. When they grow up, you're like, wow. <laughs> Wow, God bless you, you know. <laughs> we want to keep our distance. And, and so uh, that's what happens with these ones. When they're cute, there's a, a little chance that they're going to be adopted. But then if they're not, which is still the, you know, uh, most of cases, they're not adopted. And then they're transferred to a regular orphanage where they are from age of four up until they're 15, 16. And of course, it's all facilities, big, massive facilities. And uh, in those facilities, they're looked after by a system, by the workers that are paid, that still don't like orphans. It's not the job they chose. It's the job that was available. So they, they, they don't like them. They hate them. They abuse them. But there's no one an orphan can complain to. This worker is in charge. So they never make their beds. They never clean. They never know how to cook. And, and then all of a sudden when they're 16 and are kicked out of an orphanage to live independent life and go to a tech school and live at the dorm where there's no supervision, where there's this freedom all of a sudden, they don't know how to live life. They've never made choices on their own. They've never had anywhere to go or anyone to talk to. So life becomes a disaster for them, literally overnight. And, and that's where we come in. Of course, we build relationships with them when they're little and older and growing up. But, but I believe that that's the vision that the Lord has given to our ministry now, to minister to teenagers before they make all those terrible choices, before they try all of that, so that we don't have those rehabs. We try to you know, do it before they hit the, the, uh, the terrible route in their life. And instead, we offer them a better one with Jesus. And so we come into those dorms. We, of course, have a relationship in orphanages. And then we come into the dorms and minister to them and tell them about Christ and build relationships. And then they show up to church. And long story short, we see so much healing so much healing and God is restoring. I mean, besides the healing that we see within their heart, within their lives, because those teens are angry, right? They, the the 70, 76% of girls, they turn to prostitution. They end up in human trafficking or somewhere in there. Uh, and 68% uh, of boys, they end up committing crime and end up in prison. That's the statistic. So it's, it's huge. But if we can just help the one... If we could just help that, that one, the one is going to be the beginning of a ripple. And it's going to start and it's going to continue and continue. And so, we, we, you know, it's a ministry about one at a time, one, but the one in front of you. And so, uh, of course, there's a lot of uh, healing in the, in the physical and the natural because a lot of them have issues health-wise. But we see a lot of miracles like that, and it's exciting. One girl, very quick testimony, one girl that graduated in orphanage, she was so scared uh, to, to go and live this independent life. Her name is Allah. And she, she just had no idea what was out there, and she was really scared. And then she got really sick, and she was admitted to the hospital, and they cut out her bladder. And she was, at that time, she was 18. So, but it was a mistake that they cut it out. They, they didn't need to do that. That's not what the problem was. It was something with her stomach. And so it was this big disaster, right? But because she's an orphan, they didn't even feel sorry. So they release her from the hospital, and this 18-year-old year old girl who's beautiful and wants to do something for the Lord and live for the Lord and now she can't even control when she goes to the bathroom and so it was you know a depressing time for her and as the church we surrounded her and prayed as her friends we were just there for her and long story short we had to take her in after a couple of months to get you know checked out and just tested again and whatever and so we bring her into the hospital and it's a an hour you know bus ride and so uh, I said, you know, Allah, you probably should go to the bathroom before we take off, you know, because she doesn't know when she's going to do it. And so she goes and then we get on the bus and I bring her to the hospital with another friend of mine. And we just sit there and wait and wait. And it's taken so long. And I finally just go into the, you know, the room and I said, doctor, what's going on? What's happened? Like, why is this so long? We don't have all day. Come and just tell us what's happened. And he said, I don't understand this. This girl has a bladder. Come on. <laughs> 
And I'm like, well, you could have asked. We did pray for her. <laughs> and so uh, there's stitches. There is paperwork to prove, right? There's a scar to prove that there was a surgery. There's a signature of the doctor that performed the this, this surgery. So she's got this amazing testimony uh, for, for a lifetime, right? So that's her, her ministry now. She just goes around and prays for people, prays for healing. And she was healed in her heart before she was healed physically. The Lord had given her a family. And a part of our ministry, of course, is to teach them and equip them for life, for just an everyday uh, life that they could choose on their own. They could choose, uh, you know, the Lord every day. And that's, uh, I believe that's a part of our calling. And Ecclesiastes chapter 9, if you open with me, verse 10 and 11, it says, uh, I'll I, I won't read it because mine's in Russian, but I'll just refer to it. Okay, you can read it. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. Say amen. amen. Can somebody say amen and believe it? Amen. amen. Yeah. So it says, do whatever your hand finds to do. But then it, further on it says, because in the grave where you are headed, there is no work. That's ex I mean, that's exciting. Come on, you guys. Have you ever had like a tough day at work? It's like, so when we die, there's going to be like no work. That's encouraging. That's a great, that's a great word. But, but when you look further, it says that not the rich ones get everything. Not the fast ones win the race. But there is time and chance for all of these things. Don't miss out. If there is that one in front of you, don't walk past him. Amen. If there is that one in front of you, the be the good Samaritan. Stop for the one. Amen. Don't miss out. Because if you miss out, guess what? Somebody won't. The Lord's going to send somebody else. He's a good God, and he goes after his children. And my last testimony, you guys, and I'll be wrapping this up. And you can play the piano so well. Could you come up, please? I don't even know your name. Olivia. It's good to meet you, Olivia. So a part of uh, my ministry, the, the way the Lord, you know, ministers to me, because there's so many kids, right, all around, and we constantly go, go, go. Uh, we, 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 find whatever our, we find whatever our hand, you know, can do, and we just do that, right, what it says in Scripture. And then uh, sometimes you need a break, and I need to just get into my little secret room and pray. And the Lord had called me into a secret place, which is a manhole, and it has been for so many years now. You can laugh. My, my team laughs at me too. But, uh, you know, because sometimes we, we don't realize... Um, and it's my personal revelation. It's nothing I would encourage other people to do. It's something the Lord had called me. But sometimes we don't realize how deep we were buried underground in this dirt and in this darkness. And he still found us. And he still pulled us out of the darkness into his perfect light. And so when I'm in a manhole praying, worshiping, I usually don't use a flashlight because you don't want to see what's around you. And it doesn't smell nice either. But it's the, it's the time where your flesh has no right to dictate what to feel. Where your logic has no uh, power to tell you what to think. Where it's just your spirit listening to God's voice. And so one time I got, I, you know, of course I have my times when I go down and pray in manholes. And they're different all around the city. And this one time I went into a manhole. And I sat there for a couple of hours just worshiping and praying. And you know how you just get into the presence of the Lord. And it's like the whole world is just stopping. It doesn't matter. You know that your dad is right there with you. And, and so I got to that place and I'm praying and I'm crying out because we had lost a child in the ministry. He had died from some disease. And I have all these questions for God. And I said, why would you even let us minister so that we could see him die? Why would you, you know, so I had all these questions and, and no answers. And so I'm worshiping and praying and seeking his face in a secret place. And then a little boy who's 10 years old gets down to a manhole that I'm sitting in. 
because it's so pitch black. He has no idea who I am or what I'm wearing and the fact that I have a, a home and, you know, he thinks I'm homeless too. And so he's like, why don't you get your own hole? Where's your hole? Why are you in my manhole? And so we're, we're having this conversation and I said, I'll just be here for a little bit and then I'll go away. And so we're talking and talking. And, and then he pulls out a little plastic bag and some glue and I can hear the little noise. And he puts the glue in the bag and he starts sniffing it. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm sniffing glue. I said, why? And he said, I'm hungry. And I said, well, that's not a way to feed yourself why don't you just get food? And he said, I can't afford food. Glue's a lot cheaper or easier to steal and it quenches my hunger. And so I'm sitting there and I, I'm, I was in this great presence of worship, right? With the Lord. And then he gives me this one life in front of me. And I said, okay, God, what do I do? So I said, Sergey, would you like to go with me to the store and we'll get some food? And he said, you have money? Let's go. So we got out, you know, we went to this 24-7 little corner store. Of course, our, you know, my shoes and jeans and whatever is covered in crap and it's falling off us as we go into the store. Security follows, you know, this little shop because it's the middle of the night. They're thinking, what in the world? And so I'm walking with this little boy and, and I bought him all the food that he wanted. And then we went back to the manhole and we're still sitting there. He's eating and he's eating. And I said, Listen, uh, would you like to go home? And he said, what do you mean? I don't have a home. This is where I live. They hide there because it's a good hiding place. Nobody usually goes down there. And uh, it's warm because there's plumbing. And I said, well, I have a place where you could stay. And he said, okay, let's go. So later, of course, we went. But something the Lord has taught me in that time where he was sniffing glue and because he was hungry, sometimes you and I, read a newspaper, read a book, a good book maybe, hear a lot of news from our friends, neighbors, siblings, whatever. And that information, it's overwhelming. So when you come home, you have no room for this in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You're just, you're like, oh, I'm, I, I'm overwhelmed with the information today. And this is like the last thing we go after. So we, like this little boy, Sergei, he was feeding himself what was, you know, a lie, of course. And we do that too. We feed ourselves with all these lies around us, the media, the video, the movies, whatever it is. It's lies upon lies that is kind of feeding you, but it's actually killing you because it isn't the truth. This is the only thing that will nourish your spirit, that will nourish your body, that will heal, that will restore, that will uh, be a great foundation that doesn't move. Amen. Amen. And so this little boy's life has taught me a lot. And so I realized that sometimes we're, we're sniffing glue in our lives. We're, we're you know, we're just uh, taking in the wrong information. We're taking in the lies that the world is telling us and we don't filter it through this, this truth. So I encourage you to study your word and that's part of the prophecy that you are a church that brings and gives the bread of life because you live by the word. You live by the spirit and not by the flesh. And so... Of course, this little Sergey stayed with me for more than a day, and he, he stayed with me for several months until we restored his paperwork and got to, you know, find out where he came from and how old he really was and all of that. And then he was adopted into a family in Italy later on. So it was such a blessing for me to see and witness. And in my, in my lifetime, my little life, my little life uh, that was given to the Lord, uh, my lifetime, I've seen a lot of God's hand just move. And he has honored and privileged me to see the miraculous, to see the fruit of his love. And part of that, he also has blessed me with 27 kids because I adopted them. I'm serious. I adopted 27 kids when I was 27, not all at once. But because I'm a lawyer, it's easy to do paperwork, right? So I just kept on going. Uh, they, they didn't all live with me because they just have a small apartment, but a lot of them were adopted because they needed 
a safe place. They needed to be on a government radar. They needed a last name. They needed an identity. They needed, uh, they needed to be in a family. Otherwise, they would be sold for organs or drugs or slavery or prostitution or whatever. So the Lord had a plan for all of this. Of course, most of them are still around. They keep in touch. Call me dad. And it's a great family we have. But the best thing for me to see is that their lives are so changed and belong to Jesus that they want to serve the orphans themselves. They don't feel like they're orphans. I don't know if there's such a thing as an ex-orphan, but you know, that's how they feel. They're like, I don't, I have a family. I want to minister to the orphans. I want to go back and reach out. And that's the biggest miracle, right? Not just healing, not just finances, not whatever the need is, but the, uh, the salvation that we receive. That's the greatest miracle there is. So let's pray, you guys. Let's stand and pray together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we are seeking your face in this secret place. We are listening to your voice. We are listening to you, Holy Spirit. You are the comforter. And Jesus, you are the truth. We pray for your truth to go deep into our hearts, to be the foundation for our lives. You are the cornerstone. You are the Prince of Peace. You are the great I Am. And you are my God. I thank you, Father, for the amount of love you pour into my life. Your unconditional, never-ending love, liquid love that covers us all from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Father, we thank you. We pray for peace right now. We pray for your truth. Would you put your hand on your heart? And ask him for whatever that is that you need in life. Don't be politically correct. Say it how it is. God, I need you to heal my mind. Because I feel like I'm going crazy. God, I need you to help me through this season. Because I have no more strength in me. Be the strength for me. When I am weak, you are strong. God, I cannot do this on my own. And the health issues are just exhausting for me. So heal me. Reveal your glory. Manifest your love. Make it evident to me and to everyone around me. I will testify of how good you are. And how amazing you are. And how great you are. And how true you are. And how loving you are. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that there is so many things that are impossible for us, but are so easy for you. We give you the impossible for us. We trust it into your hands and we say, you do your will. Have your will, Father. According to your time. Because you are the God outside of time and space. And yet you are never late. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Hallelujah.